0: brothers and sisters hear the good news at the beginning of the gospel of john we hear that no man has seen god at any time the father was invisible and this is a problem if we are to truly know god and who he is jesus brings us the good news that to know the father is to know jesus and to know jesus is to know the father he is the way to the father jesus prays for those who believe believe in him scattered throughout the world, that they may be brought into unity with the Father and the Son. Through the fa- though the Father has not been seen, we've now seen the Son in whom the Father dwells. The Father, who is not known, has made himself known in Jesus. Even more, through the Son, the Father has made room for us in himself too. And though we have eyes but do not see the Son now, Jesus tells Thomas at the end of the Gospel of John, that because you have seen me and you have believed, blessed are they who did not see and have believed. Indeed, we are blessed because we now know God and have been united to him through the Son by faith and not by sight. Brothers and sisters, having truly confessed our sins, God himself promises you the forgiveness of the Father, the victory of the Son, and the glory and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Believe this and rejoice. And God's people say, Amen. amen. God's word to us this morning begins in 1 Kings chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Solomon said, Thou hast shown great loving kindness to thy servant David my father. According as he walked before thee in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward thee. And thou hast reserved for him this great loving kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is to this day. And now, O Yahweh, my God, thou hast made thy servant king in my place, in place of my father David. Yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people which thou hast chosen, a great people who cannot be numbered or counted for multitude. So give thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of thine? And it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon asked this thing. And God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, "'Nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, "'but have asked for yourself a discernment "'to understand justice. "'Behold, I have done according to your words. "'Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, "'so that there has been none, no one like you before you, "'nor shall one like you arise after you. "'And I have also given you what you have not asked, "'both riches and honor, "'so that there will not be any among the kings "'like you all your days.'" And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments, as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. Then Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and offered burnt offerings, and made peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. We'll turn one chapter to chapter 4, verse 29. Now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and of the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezrahite, Heman, Chalcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol. And his fame was known in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. And he spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke also of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. And men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon, from all the kings of the earth who had heard of, this, of his wisdom. We'll turn now to the epistle of 1 Corinthians, chapter 2, verse 6. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God." Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a, but a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let us turn now to the back of your bulletin and read together Psalm 1. Psalm 1. but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: And this week that I didn't finish last week's sermon on the tongue, I never got to the title or the scripture reading and why I included that. But then I was told by my niece this morning, are you going to preach? You must be going to say many words. <laughs> and I thought maybe maybe we should leave that for next week while I let the words cool off a little bit, or next time. What we're going to do, we will loop back around to the tongue when we come back to James next time, but today I want to consider the the wisdom and the quarrels that ignite the tongue. So we're going to look at the next part in James. So James 13, James 3.13 through chapter 4, verse 3. But we're not quite done with the tongue. When we come back to the section as a whole, we'll address this again and, and hopefully bring that last, last message to resolution. But Today I want to consider James has two questions in chapter 3, verse 13 and chapter 4. First, he asks, who among you is wise and understanding? And this flows out of his discussion of the tongue. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, he asks, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Of course, he, he, he asks a series of rhetorical questions, but they flow out of these two primary questions. Who is wise and what is the source of the quarrels and conflicts that are among you? So let's go before the Lord in prayer and ask for his help in gaining wisdom. Father, we come to you today by your invitation to ask that you would speak to us and that you would give us wisdom. It can only come from you. It can only come from above. Lord, we need the eyes to see, to be able to judge right and wrong. And so, Lord, we pray that that you would give us that through your powerful, life-giving word these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. So to that end, I want to read through the section, but we're going to start at the beginning of chapter 3 and read through chapter 4. So I'll use up some of the minutes, but I want to make sure that we have this context in mind when discussing these questions. So James 3, verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brothers, knowing that as such we shall incur stricter, mega-judgment, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a mature man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put bits into the horse's mouth so that they obey us, we can direct their whole body as well. Behold, the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, they're still directed by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts great things. Behold, how great a forest is set aflame, set afire by such a small flame. The tongue is a fire, the world of iniquity, and the tongue is established among our members as that which defiles the whole body and sets on fire the wheel of life and is set on fire by Gehenna. Every species of beasts and birds of creeping things and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is an unstable evil and full of death-dealing poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter Can a fig tree, my brother, produce olives, or a vine tree, a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good life, his beautiful life, his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth." This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is instability and all kinds of evil. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without division, without hypocrisy, And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wickedly, so that you may spend it on your pleasures." You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak against one another, my brothers. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? So what we're going to do is move backwards through the text and then come back to the end. So I want to first discuss chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and then we'll come back to James's discussion of wisdom at the end of chapter 3. And you'll see why in just a minute. So James says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war among your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. Going on, the the, the people that James is addressing, there's all kinds of conflicts. Remember, James has written to the 12 tribes. They're dispersed. They're split out, and he's writing to the brothers and so he keeps addressing them as brothers, but there's, there's trouble. There's trouble both from outside and from inside. And so James asked this question, one which we probably frequently ask. What is the source of all this trouble? What's the source of the conflict that's, that's among you? And I think we're going to discuss this with regard to the specific people and the, the, the context James is writing to, but this source is one that's applicable beyond that. What is the source of the conflicts in your marriage, in your church, in your nation, in the world? And the source is not varying. It's the same. So I'm going to make seven observations as we go through this text. But the first one, we need to come to a, answer this question in verse 2. He says, this is the source. You, have, you seek pleasures and they cause this war to be waged. And then he uses the word in verse 2, you lust. So the source of the quarrels and the conflicts is because you lust and you cannot obtain. So what is it that they lust for? In another verse, he says, "When you, you, you don't have it, the thing that you lust for, you don't have it because you don't ask for it. So that refines it for us a little bit. It's not just something that's totally evil in and of itself, because James says, this thing that that promotes quarreling and conflict, you lust for it and you don't have it, but you don't have it purely because you don't ask for it. When you finally do ask for it, you don't receive it because you ask with evil motives, so that you might spend it on your pleasures. The proposal I'm going to make, which I, I hope to demonstrate to you today is that the thing that they lust for and the thing that they're not asking for is the very subject of the epistle of James. It's wisdom. Now It may seem strange at first to say that lusting for wisdom is the source of your quarrels. But as we move through these observations, we're going to see at least why I'm proposing this as the answer. So in verse 3, he says, you don't have it because you don't ask for it. Just quickly, before we go through these observations, to give us a foundation, remember how James starts his epistle. It's with this very subject. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter all kinds of trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces an endurance, and let endurance have its perfecting result, that you may be mature, complete, lacking in nothing, but if you lack... If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So the thing that James is telling us to ask for is wisdom. The thing that in chapter 4 they're not asking for seems likely that it's also wisdom. Now we we can put that wisdom in scare quotes because as we'll find out there's more than one kind of wisdom we just we just read through the passage in chapter 3 he says this wisdom this one that's full of selfish ambition and bitter jealousy this is not the wisdom that's from above it's earthly natural demonic so there are two kinds of wisdom but nonetheless it's wisdom that people are looking for so the first thing i want to do the first observation we'll have to chase it down but is to give us give ourselves A definition then of wisdom that we can use as we as we look through this text. And that's why I had the scripture reading changed to 1 Kings chapter chapter 3. If you would keep your finger in the text and flip back there very quickly, 1 Kings chapter 3. And remember Solomon, as he's granted the kingship, he's established. And then he asked God, and his request, let's read in verse 7, And now, O Yahweh, my God, you have made your servant king in the place of my father David, yet I am but a little child. I don't know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people which you have chosen, a great people who cannot be numbered or counted for multitude. So give your servant an understanding heart, to judge your people, to discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? So Solomon's request is for understanding and the ability to divide, to judge good and evil. That's what he asks for. God's answer is, because you haven't asked for riches or long life, because you haven't asked for these things, I'm going to give you what you ask for, and the thing you ask for is wisdom. So from this passage, we can at least get a starting point for what wisdom means. Wisdom is the ability to divide good and evil, to judge good and evil. It's an understanding, a knowledge of good and evil, and that should sound familiar. So God gives Solomon wisdom, wisdom greater than anybody else in the earth. And so when we read in chapter 4, we read all the things that Solomon's wisdom produces. So we don't at first usually think that the ability to judge good and evil lends itself to an understanding, a skill of understanding all that God's made. And yet that's exactly what Solomon is given. He's given the, the ability to understand not, not just people, but God's creation. You remember he speaks of trees, of the cedar that's in Lebanon, of the hyssop that grows on the wall, of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. He speaks of, of all that God made, particularly he speaks of things that will go and are, are useful by God among his people in the building of the temple, but it, his wisdom, this division of good and evil, is a skill. And so you remember a few weeks ago, we were talking about faith and saying out of Hebrews, faith is the, the assurance of things to come. I'm always forgetting how to quote that right, so I'm just going to flip back there. Faith is the the substance of things hoped for and the conviction, the evidence of things not seen. And so he said that it's reaching forward into what God promises and acting on that now. If we take that definition and then say, what is wisdom in that construct? It's the... The ability to to do that, to take the thing that God has promised, the reality that he sets forth, and then to skillfully navigate among it so that you can judge good from evil. You know how to act in a given circumstance. And particularly, that wisdom then is a, a kingly attribute because you have to be able to judge between good and evil, not just for yourself, but for those around you. We see wisdom in the Old Testament particularly given to those who are, are given the task of building. So think of Bezalel and Aholiab in the building of the tabernacle. It said that they were blessed with the spirit and wisdom. They, their hands were skilled to do the very work that God was asking them to do. And we don't usually associate that with good and evil, but that's exactly what they were doing. They were dividing good and evil right from wrong. They were, they were building according to the plans that God had, had given and not according to the ones he hadn't given. And by the way, they were able to do that and through it to make something beautiful. So Joshua is also blessed with wisdom. Solomon, we read about Hiram in the building of the temple, is given the same spirit of wisdom. Ezra, the branch, Daniel, and Stephen all are given this attribute, this characteristic of wisdom in which they have This skillful ability, both to know, because you can't have it apart from knowing and understanding how God has made the world, but also the skill to be able to divide. And so wisdom is a timely characteristic. If you think about the the book of Ecclesiastes, it's a book of wisdom. Or the book of Proverbs, it's a book of wisdom. But in all those discussions of wisdom, there's a time component to it. So it's not just understanding The difference between good and evil, but the right time to act in order to produce the goal. In the book of James, wisdom is that maturity which James is seeking for them. So the trials are given so that they would produce endurance. The testing your, your faith produces an endurance, and endurance will have its maturing result, but if you lack, so, the, so that you don't lack in anything, but if you lack, if you haven't arrived yet, then ask of God, the one who gives to all men generously, and ask him for wisdom. So our first observation is that just around what wisdom is. Wisdom is that, that judgment of good and evil, the ability to divide rightly and to know in time how to act based on that judgment. And so you can read all of Solomon's decisions. We've gone through the Chronicles and he's chronicled that wisdom of Solomon, how God gave him the wisdom to discern. That wisdom... So in Proverbs 3.18, it compares wisdom to a tree of life. And that leads us into our second observation. In James chapter 4, he says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. I said that the proposition I'm making is the thing they're lusting for is a form of wisdom. So turn back to James chapter 1. This is not the first time he used the word lust either. So in James chapter 1, you're asking for wisdom, but in James chapter 1, there's also a lust that's associated with trouble and the inability to obtain wisdom. So in James chapter 1, verse 13, James says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, when it's matured or perfected, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brothers. So, if you recall, James sets forward two explanations of trouble. One is an explanation that it's trouble for the purpose of destruction, and he calls that temptation. It does not come from God, and said that temptation comes from lust. When we look at trouble and we say that the purpose is to bring forth destruction and death, that comes from our own lust. That lust gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So hold your finger again in James, and let's flip back to Genesis chapter 3. That trilogy of events is an allusion to Genesis 3. So a passage we know well. Genesis 3. Now, The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which Yahweh God had made. Craftiness is a form of wisdom. It's the cunningness to be able to achieve the end. He said to the woman, indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it. Lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from from it your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And we know that story. So there was a lust which gave birth to sin. And sin then, in the end of chapter 3, produced death. It's the story of James 1. But in Genesis 3, what is the lust for? The serpent said, eat from this tree. It will make you wise. It's going to give you the knowledge of good and evil. This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The lust was for the very thing that was given to Solomon, the ability to judge good and evil. And Eve saw it. She looked at the tree and she saw that it was desirable. It was good for food because it was desirable to make one wise. Seemingly a good thing. So lust, the lust for that wisdom, that division of good and evil, brought forth sin and produced death. So, our second observation is that all men are seeking some form of this wisdom, the judgment between good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil. And it is in James then called a lust. You set your heart upon it, is what the word means. So, you fix your heart on this thing, you want it. And in part, we should. So as with all sin, there's a corrupted form of what God made us to be. He set eternity in our hearts. He made us, according to Paul, to seek after him in Acts chapter 17. All men are made to seek after God. All men have eternity set in their hearts. All men have this desire within them. But James is going to explain why it is, how this desire is corrupted, and there's two different kinds of wisdom. So if you set your heart on the wrong kind, and the kind of wisdom that you set your heart on is associated with the way of obtaining it, then the end is death. So, all men seek a form of wisdom. And according to James, this lust for wisdom and all that it gives, remember what God said, what the Proverbs repeat. What's in the left and the right hands of of wisdom? Long life, wealth, and riches. You see, having the wisdom gives you all of those things that we desire as well. They come with it. We'll come back to that in a minute. Now, one more uh, more point before we move on. So, he uses the word lust. It's something that we usually associate with a, a sexual sin. So, you you quarrel and you have conflicts because you lust and you cannot obtain. If you think about wisdom, in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, it's cast in terms of women. And so there's two women in the book of Proverbs and the direction is, who do you choose? Do you choose Lady Wisdom or Lady Folly? And we move on to Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, and still there's this picture of wisdom associated with, with marriage and women. And in Ecclesiastes, the wisdom, the wisdom is to rejoice. Rejoice in what God has done. Rejoice in the wife of your youth that he's given you. And we see that same point in the book of Song of Solomon. And so the aberration of that, the corruption of the desire that God has given us for wisdom is lust. Lust for lady folly, which appears and proclaims a form of wisdom. A third observation then is that this lust, according to James, this lust for wisdom, with scare quotes, is the source of quarrels and conflict. It produces murder. You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. This lust for wisdom issues forth in death. So we saw that in James chapter 1. We saw it in Genesis chapter 3. It's repeated in, in brotherly conflict in the next chapter of Genesis. Cain and Abel are before the Lord and Abel's offering was accepted. God looked upon it, but Cain's was not. And so Cain rose up in anger, and he killed his brother. Well, why? At least least on the face of it, the reason is not for long life or or riches or, or any of those things. He wanted acceptance with God. Now, there was a perversion to his desire, but the result of that lust is murder. We see that through Israel's history, that lust for, scare quotes, wisdom, so the wrong kind of wisdom which avoids God, produces fratricide, in which you go and you kill your brother. Let's look at one more example. So Acts chapter 6, we've been here before in the book of James. Acts chapter 6, if you would turn there, and we'll read again what happened to Stephen and observe these, these same, this same concept to reinforce it for ourselves. To remember Stephen was selected after there was a conflict between the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews, and the Hebrews. And the conflict was about who was serving the widows, the widows that were getting served. And so the 12 appointed seven for the work of service, and Stephen was one of their number And the result, after they prayed for them and laid hands on them in verse 6, was that the word of God kept on spreading. And the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen, and yet they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So there was a conflict that was produced because Stephen had wisdom and they did not. They were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit. With which he was speaking. And so, the result in verse 11, they secretly induced men, they took their tongues, remember the beginning of chapter 3, and they said, We've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So, they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon them and dragged them away and brought him before the council. So, they stirred men up to do violence. They could not cope with the wisdom that God had given Stephen because they did not have wisdom. And so the response was they used their tongues to murder their brother. They did it through lies. They brought him forth before the council. In verse 13, they put forward false witnesses who said, this man incessantly speaks against this holy place and against the law. We've heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. So we see this same pattern of fratricide in the background of the book of James because of course out of Stephen's murder in chapter 8 there arose a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And Saul began ravaging the church entering house after house and dragging off men and women and putting them in prison. So in the background of this we have a scattered people but the very the very reason they're scattered is because of this sin. And I would say at this point in history, so this is early in the book of Acts, there's not a strong delineation yet that the church and, and Judaism are, are growing up. And so, so Stephen references them as, as the same people who call on Yahweh God. They're brothers. And yet, because they could not cope with the wisdom of Stephen, they used their tongues to murder them. And that's the exact thing that James is saying in chapter 4. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the source your pleasures that wage war and your members you lust and you do not have, so you commit murder? You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Of course, that pattern is replicated in our lives. If you think about conflict, the conflicts that we're A part of. And dig deep. There's all kinds of things on the surface. But what's going on behind the conflict? There's there's a source for that conflict. An unfulfilled desire that's causing friction and that produces words driven in anger in which we murder one another with our mouths. James says the reason is because we lack wisdom. Wisdom. We need it. We want it. We want that form of wisdom, the, the ability to judge right and wrong. And so you think about conflict, and the conflict is usually between two different judgments of good and evil. One says that this is good, and the other one says, no, that's evil. And, and that can be on all kinds of trivial matters, whether it's the budget in your household, the, the color of the paint on the wall in the church... It's still a a judgment. It's a dividing line. This is right and this is wrong. This is good. This is evil. And this is how we obtain the goal. And frequently it can be cast in very spiritual terms. But James says, make no mistake, what is the source of the quarrels and conflicts among you? It's because you lust and you cannot obtain. Then he says, you do not have this thing you are lusting for. Because you do not ask. That leads us to our fourth observation about wisdom. So in James 1, he says, God's given you this gift of trouble, trials from him, for the purpose of producing wisdom. But if you lack wisdom, ask from God. Ask. God, the one who gives generously without reproach, he gives to all men generously without reproach, if you ask for wisdom, this God will give it. But James says, you don't have it because you do not ask for it. It speaks to where wisdom comes from, and it should, should be an obvious point, but true wisdom Wisdom from above, as he refers to it in chapter 3, can only come from above. It comes from God. Remember what he says then in chapter 1. He says, don't deceive yourselves. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Don't deceive yourselves, brethren. Instead, verse 17, every good thing bestowed in every perfect gift, every maturing gift, is from above, from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. Wisdom comes from above. True wisdom comes from above. And we'll look at that in verses 13 through 18 because that's exactly what his discussion of wisdom is about, is what is the source and then what does that wisdom, which comes from either above or from earthly, natural, demonic sources, what does it lead to? But James says, You don't have wisdom because you don't ask for it. Wisdom can only be obtained from a position of lack. If you lack wisdom, ask. All throughout the Proverbs, in Isaiah, what do we read? Woe, woe to him who is wise in his own eyes. So if you come to James 1 and we say, All right, I've arrived. I don't need wisdom. So you answer James's question, I'm mature, I've hit the end, the goal. I have wisdom, I have all the wisdom I need, so therefore I'm not going to ask. Then we're fools. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. We don't have sufficient wisdom. So if you lack, ask of God. And the only way to obtain it is to start off with a position of not having that wisdom. It cannot be obtained from within. So think about what what Solomon says of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. So where do you start obtaining wisdom? Well, it's from God. From above. And yet James says, you don't have it because you don't ask for it. How often when we're in the midst of a quarrel do we start with, I don't have wisdom? And ask. Usually it's the other way around. We open our mouth and speak the wisdom that we don't yet have. Solomon says, the beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. It's one of my favorite proverbs. So I tell this to my kids all the time. The beginning of wisdom. So you don't have wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. That's the first thing you need to learn. Start with nothing. Woe to him who is wise in his own eyes. And so we go to God, and the call is simple. Ask. Ask the one who is above, who gives to all men generously without reproach, and it will be given to you. Of course, there's a follow-on to that in the next verse, which we've talked about at length, but before we get out of the book of James, you're going to hear about it some more. Because if we understand that beginning question, the beginning problem, then we will understand all of the book of James. Ask God for wisdom. So that leads into the, the fifth observation, which is directly out of that. I don't have to add a lot of comments. True wisdom comes from above, always. And that, that makes sense when you think about what wisdom is. So go back to our functional definition, the Ability to judge good and evil. So that skillful ability to judge good and evil, it can only come from above if what is good and what is evil comes from above. Otherwise, we have to define it from somewhere else. And that's exactly what's wrong with the wisdom that's earthly, natural, demonic, is that the categories get mixed up. We say what's evil is good and what's good is evil. And so that form of wisdom is a lie. True wisdom comes from above because of the nature of what wisdom is. God from the heavens, God the one who gives, the Father of lights who is above, who gives all good gifts, is the one who gives wisdom, and it cannot come from any other source. All right, so we're going to come back to verses one through three, hopefully. But first we're going to skip skip backwards and look at verses 13 through 18 in a discussion of these two kinds of wisdom. So we still, just, just so we don't forget, in verse 3 we still have to ask the question of when you do ask, you ask with wrong motives. You ask wickedly so that you might spend it on your pleasures. We haven't talked about verse 3 yet. Sorry to skip around. But we're going to go back to verses 13 through 18, so let's read those just to remind ourselves what he says. James says this Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his works and the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is instability. And every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So James presents then two kinds of wisdom in these verses. A wisdom from above and a wisdom whose origin is earthly, natural, demonic. And he lists characteristics of each kind of wisdom. I don't know about you, but usually when I read through the the lists in the New Testament, I I kind of skip over them pretty quickly. But he does this for a reason. So we can identify what, what this wisdom is. He helps us to be able to see this is what wisdom looks like. And if it doesn't look like this, you've got the wrong kind. You've got that earthly, natural, demonic wisdom. And then... We'll, we'll walk through these movements on each side, but he gives the end result of each kind of wisdom. So earthly, natural, demonic wisdom. It looks like selfish ambition and jealousy. It looks like lying against the truth. And it produces instability, disorder, chaos in every evil thing. That's the end result. And so we move from origin to what, how it functions to the end result, it's the same thing as when he talks about in chapter one. You lust, your lust gives birth to sin, sin brings forth death. It's the same three-step pattern. With true wisdom, wisdom from above, it comes from above, from the Father of lights, and it looks like it's first pure, it's peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, and good fruits that's unwavering and without hypocrisy, and its fruit is the fruit of righteousness. Its fruit is the fruit sown by those who make peace in peace. The end result is peace. And so if you compare those two, you can see one comes from above, one comes from below, from the Gehenna that sets our tongues on fire. And there's two different fires, by the way, too. That's the part we never got to. We'll come back to that. So one comes from above, one comes from below. And the end is either chaos or the opposite of chaos, which is peace. Instability or peace. So one wisdom produces chaos and disorder and instability. The other one produces peace by way of the fruit of righteousness. So I kind of jumbled up our next two points for those of you who like to take copious notes. um, The first one we'll talk about then directly is the earthly wisdom. It comes from below. And so notice in that list, it's earthly, it's natural, it's demonic. Well, in the first two words, there's nothing actually wrong with earth and natural. So the way Paul uses those words, the things that are of the earth, the things that are natural, well, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with them. We are earthy beings or natural, but we have to be Born from above. And so the discussion in in 1 Corinthians is the natural man can't understand the things of God. Instead, God must make him spiritual. And so there's nothing fundamentally wrong with it, but as a source of wisdom, it doesn't work because the pattern is you copy heaven onto earth. And if you try to do the, the inverse, It produces disorder, chaos, and every kind of evil thing. And we see that then in verse 15, that this source is not just earthly and natural, but it's demonic. So throughout chapter 3 and chapter 4, we have this reference in the background. So your tongue is set on fire by Gehenna, that valley of death wherein children are put to death and there's an allusion to hell. And here we see that wisdom that's earthly and natural, it comes forth and it's demonic. And then in chapter 4, he says, again, resist the devil. And so he's setting up this juxtaposition of terms in which, in the end, the one who's the root behind this false wisdom is Satan, the accuser, the devil, the one who accuses the brethren. What does it look like? If you have bitter jealousy, verse 14, and selfish ambition. So he uses that word bitter, and it's the word that that came out of the previous section on the discussion of the tongue. You have a, a spring of water, it cannot produce both bitter and fresh. But if you have bitter jealousy in your heart, selfish ambition in your heart, don't be arrogant and so lie against the truth. Who is wise among you? So consider this, who is wise? If your heart is full of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, that is not wisdom. It cannot issue forth in wisdom. That same spring cannot issue forth both bitter water and fresh water. And so James says, don't be arrogant and so lie against the truth. The lying is professing to have wisdom when your heart is full of bitter passion and selfish ambition. So think back to the men of the synagogue of the freedmen in Acts chapter 6. They could not cope with the wisdom and the spirit of Stephen, so they rose up and they lied against the truth because they had bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in their heart. What this means is there's a, a self-diagnosis that has to, hap- has to go on, especially in the midst of conflict because the, the, the conflict arises out of this lust for the right to discern good and evil for, for saying what are the, the categories of good and evil. And when we have ambition, selfish ambition, bitter jealousy in our heart, it's a, it's a lie to produce that forth as a godly wisdom. It's a lie to say that we have wisdom. And so James says, if you're in that camp, if we're in that category, we lack. So what is the answer? That's the same answer as before. Ask. Because we don't have it yet. If we have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in our heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth by going against your brother, as he says in in verse 11, do not speak against one another, my brethren. Don't lie against the truth with this false, earthly, natural, demonic wisdom which produces quarrels and yields death. Instead, repent and ask God for true wisdom that can only come from above. The result of this earthly wisdom, as we already mentioned in verse 16, is unstable, instability, chaos. It's the word that he uses of of the tongue, no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless, unstable evil and full of deadly poison. It's the word that he uses of the man who asks God for wisdom, but with a double mind. Ask in faith, chapter 1, verse 6, without, without judgment. So you can't go to God and ask for wisdom and then say, I have the wisdom to divide your wisdom. I can't, I can't go to God and say, all right, you're giving me this wisdom, but I know that this part is good and this part is evil. Don't judge. If you ask in faith without judgment, without dividing, because you're saying up front, I don't have wisdom when you're asking. The one who doubts, the one who judges, is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect he will receive anything from the Lord because he is double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. So it's that same instability in which you're tossed between between the waves as they come crashing in, between the, the, the wind as it presses up against the ship, you don't have a firm hand on the rubber, rudder. And throughout the book of James, he's given us examples of that kind of double-mindedness in which you say, I have faith, but there's no works. In which we go to the mirror of the law, which tells us who we are, and then forget right away. Well, this is, this is who I am, and, and so you allow both both true wisdom, some form of true wisdom, and that which is earthly, natural, demonic to exist side by side, that double-minded man will not receive more wisdom. He's unstable. He's produced the fruit of that kind of wisdom which arises out of earth natural demons. It comes from below, not from above. So if we're going to ask of God for wisdom, we first must set aside all wisdom that is earthly. We don't have time to go into a long discussion of what that is, but I think to first glance, we, we know it. You you can identify it if you look deeply at bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. And we're taught it. We're taught that this is a form of wisdom. If you have goals and you want them, you, you Go after them, and this is how you do it promote yourself. Put yourself first. That's an earthly wisdom. James says that true wisdom is meek, true wisdom is pure and peaceable and reasonable, it has ears to hear. And so first we have to set aside that natural wisdom, the one that we spent our lives obtaining and and learning. Uh, This is is how we get what we want. The, The good things that God has given, set that aside and say, no, the good gifts come from God who is above. God is the one who gives true wisdom, and out of that wisdom gives the abundance of all kinds of good gifts. If we seek the good gifts first, apart from the God who gives good wisdom, we will get nothing But death and chaos. So think of Solomon, right? If you lack wisdom, that was Solomon. In fact, it's not a very veiled allusion to Solomon. If anyone lacks wisdom, he's arisen to the kingship, he's established in Jerusalem, he says, I don't have it. I can't do this job. If you lack wisdom, ask of God to all men, who gives to all men generously and without reproach. So God is not going to reproach us for asking, for saying we don't have it yet. He will reproach us for bringing our form of wisdom into his counsel. So finally, this wisdom which is from above. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior. The word behavior is a manner of living. So remember, wisdom, wisdom is... Skillful living it's a, it's a present tense quality that that works itself out in the ability to to do what God wants Deuteronomy chapter four God says that what is wisdom and understanding is the fear of the Lord and obedience to his commandments so you learn wisdom by obeying what God says and as you learn then who God is we learn the ability to judge good and evil to divide and discern and that issues forth in areas that that God doesn't talk about directly so that we have that wisdom to divide and discern. But first, we come to the table to learn from him. Who among you is wise in understanding? Let him show by his beautiful behavior the works, his works and the gentleness of wisdom. He's contrasting then the beginning of chapter 3 in which we speak. He says, you don't first show forth wisdom with the tongue. Instead, first show forth wisdom with your manner of life. A beautiful manner of life. And and in James, what does that manner look like? He says, This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God our Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep yourself unstained by the world. This is what wisdom looks like. In this verse, he says that there is a meekness about wisdom. We don't have much time to discuss that word. Uh, but meekness is a, is a restraint, a restraint of the mouth. So think about Moses. It says in Numbers chapter 12, he was the meekest man in all the earth. And it's, it says that when he was being brought forth before God on accusations of trying to hoard power, of trying to hoard the judgment of good and evil. And Moses didn't say anything. He was the meekest man in all the earth. So wisdom has a, an aura of meekness and we'll have to come back to this because um, there's, a, there's a second part to what wisdom looks like that maybe isn't just our idea of a meek, silent corner dweller who's always trodden on. But it does have the notion of, of being trampled on. Right? So Isaiah 53, he opened not his mouth. Well, there was a time, there's a time to open your mouth, but remember, wisdom has timeliness to it, and so part of that time, much of that time, is the time to be silent. Verse 17, wisdom from above, true wisdom, is first pure. He highlights this word pure. Wisdom from above is first pure. You cannot start with wisdom without purity, and It means you can't be stained by the wisdom of the world. You can't mix it up because it will contaminate God-given wisdom. The wisdom of the world really is just an aberration of wisdom that comes from God. You take it and twist it just a little bit so that we try to conform the world to what our fleshly false desires want it to be. So first, pure. It's a word in the New Testament that's associated with virginity. You come as a virgin, untouched, unblemished, Pure to seek and ask from God for wisdom, and that means first putting away all false wisdom, all sin, all stains, all blemishes, and asking. Then wisdom is peaceable, gentle, gentle, reasonable. That word reasonable it means able to reason with you. Hear when people are contending with you, you listen to them. One of my uh, one of the other proverbs I, I like is when when a uh, wise man contends with a fool. There's either outrage or laughter, but no rest. The wise man has ears to hear. He's reasonable, meaning we recognize when we're wrong. We recognize that when we lack wisdom, so the beginning of wisdom, acquire wisdom. The beginning of the wisdom, fear of Yahweh. The beginning of wisdom, realize we're not all wise. It's peaceable, gentle, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits. Wisdom produces fruit. And that fruit is found in verse 18, but first it's unwavering. That word unwavering, it means no judgment. It's just, it's just the same word for dividing, but with a, with a knot in front of it. It means impartial. So going back to, to chapter 2. Without a mask. So, without pretense. True wisdom, the wisdom that comes from above, is pure. It doesn't hide ourselves. It's reasonable. It listens to others. Without division, it's full of mercy and produces good fruits. So, in verse 18, we come to the conclusion then that this wisdom, is a seed whose fruit is righteousness, and it's sown in peace by those who make peace. The end result of this true wisdom, the wisdom that comes from above, is peace. We'll have to hold on for next time to all the forms in which that peace comes, because there's examples throughout the Bible that don't take just one path, and that gives us a fuller picture of how wisdom produces peace, but we'll hold on to that for now, and remember... First and foremost, that if we want wisdom, we have to ask. All quarrels and conflicts come down to this. You lust and you don't have. You don't have because you don't ask. When you do ask, when we ask, and ask with wicked motives that we may spend it on our pleasures, God will not give it to us. Chapter one, ask of God who golfs to all men generously, but if you ask with a double-minded heart, with division in your mind, and your speech, do not expect to receive anything. That's exactly what he's talking about in verse 3. You ask and you don't receive because you ask to spend it wickedly. There's a form of wisdom in which we, we, pursue, the, we pursue the side effects of wisdom, of skillful, righteous, good living, but not through God instead through earthly, natural, demonic sources. And when we grasp a hold of those, wisdom has in our left hand long life and our right hand riches and honor, when we grasp a hold of those first, in order to spend it on ourselves, God will give us nothing. Because it's contradictory to what wisdom is. Wisdom is pure, wisdom is peaceable, wisdom is gentle, Wisdom is full of mercy. Wisdom produces good fruits. Wisdom is unwavering, not divisive, and without a mask. Let's pray. Father, we come before you to confess that we do lack. Lord, in the midst of the good trials that you give us, we're tempted to call them trouble for our own destruction. And in that, we're tempted to walk down a path that only leads to death. To grasp a hold of worldly, worthless wisdom that tries to achieve the life that you give but without you. So Lord, I pray that you would empty us of that, help us to repent of that kind of wisdom that produces quarrels and conflicts among us, that issues forth in murder and death, and that instead we would come to you. And so Lord, today we ask you for wisdom, the wisdom that only you can give. Help us to learn at your feet from your word that teaches us that produces those good fruits of wisdom. Help us to grasp a hold of it and to hang on to it as Solomon urges us to, especially in the midst of the trouble that's coming upon this world right now, Lord, help us to have wisdom. The kind of wisdom that makes us into peacemakers, that sows seeds of peace and issues forth and fruit of righteousness. Lord, we want to have wisdom that today. And so we ask you because we need you. We pray these things at the feet of our Savior Jesus. Amen.